Welcome to the Live the Path podcast, where we meet real people leading unreal lives. Welcome to the Live the Path podcast. I'm Farah Hadaji, MD, and I'm here with Jill Hadaji. Excellent. So we have done two parts of our four-part nutrition series. Part one was nutrition why, part two was what. Today's uh, episode is going to be on nutrition when, and specifically on the timing of eating and how that can make or break your nutritional plan. So um, I have not given Jill any of this material, so she doesn't know where we're going with this at all. But I'm going to start by just saying that there have been, even presently, there exists a lot of confusion, and I hear a lot of different opinions about how to eat. Uh, we had a good friend who uh, was actually the head of a hospital here locally that uh, insisted on eating every two or three hours because he thought that he had to manage his blood sugar that way, and he was actually told that by the hospital nutritionist. So, And, and then there's people on the flip side of that that intermittent fast and don't eat for days at a time or eat with a very narrow window. So that that's a big spread, and it's quite confusing if you're trying to figure out what the best way is for you. So the first question we're going to address is, which is right? Which one of those two is right? There's two extremes. One is limiting your eating to a few hours a day, perhaps even skipping any any food intake several uh, days out of the week. Two, oh my gosh, I'm going to get hypoglycemic. I better eat something every two hours because otherwise my blood sugar is going to drop. Yes, you in the back. <laughs> um, I'm going to say both because it depends on what your energy needs for the day are. There are days mm. when I may need to eat small meals regularly through the day, say if I'm preparing to go speak in front of an audience or something that's really high energy for me. Um, I may also choose to go for a fast any given day and not eat until after lunch. Okay. Well, that's actually a good point. That not one, There's not one thing that's going to work for everybody. And day-to-day, your needs are going to change. That's a very good point. And do you know what your energy needs for the day are? Yeah. Like how much attention are you paying to what takes a lot of energy? Are you doing that eight hours today? Right. Or are you doing something low key like I was before we sure. started so this you're particular podcast? Yeah, your point is just taper your food intake, cater your food intake to what you have planned for the particular day. And understand your energy needs, mm, okay. I think, even prior to food. I would I, I don't disagree with that, but I do think we there are we need to make some differentiation between just general principles here because right. um, what you do on a given day that's out of your norm is you may have to change it. But in general, what works well for me is actually intermittent fasting. And we're going to define that in a little bit. But I just want to talk for a minute about um, why that makes sense for me and why it may make sense for you. So I use this analogy all the time when I teach my patients that if you have a saltwater fish, and hopefully you've had an aquarium at some point. I had a saltwater aquarium when I was in med school. And one thing I learned about saltwater fish is when you take them out of the natural environment and try to reproduce that environment in an aquarium. So saltwater fish are not generally hatched. They are grabbed out of the ocean and then you buy them in a fish store and bring them to your house and put them in your aquarium. And you try to duplicate as best you can that environment, the water, the electrolytes, the temperature, the lighting to make that fish 
think he's still in the ocean, but inevitably the fish is going to get sick and die because there's no way you can completely reproduce that environment. And I also take it another step and say, let's say you took that saltwater fish and he was in the best saltwater aquarium set up by experts at the zoo doing their absolute best to make that saltwater perfectly matched to the environment of the fish the fish came out of. Let's say you took that saltwater fish out of that saltwater tank and dropped him in a bowl of water. What do you think would happen? He'd wiggle around. Yeah, he would wiggle around. He would die in a matter of minutes because he is, his system is built around a saltwater environment, and you can't change that that rapidly. Keep the fish the same and change the environment. Well, you know, I love your analogies. And so are you saying we no longer live in salt water and we have to manage yeah, the I'm, environment exactly, that we actually are in? Yeah, I think in almost every way, the environment that most of us live in, um, in the modern times, is very, very different than what we evolved in. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we are all um, struggling with illnesses and um, disorders and, and issues that arise in our health because we are living in a different environment and food is a big part of that. So let's go to, let's go to this paleo idea, the whole paleolithic man, you know, trying to reproduce how he ate because the assumption is we are still genetically paleolithic beings like cavemen. And we've been put in this different environment, kind of like saltwater fish being moved into a um, aquarium. And the whole paleo thing talks about food, mm -hmm. right? So we're going to focus this podcast on food, but, Keep in mind that it's not just food. It's artificial light. It's time spent on electronics. It's sedentariness. Um, it is just chronic smoldering stress. So all those things are unlike what we lived in when we were cave people, right? So all, so as, as different as our environment is, the sicker we're going to get. Um, just a basic principle. So I think that that's why I think intermittent fasting is the way to go. Um, not because I read 30 studies and, you know, I, I, th those kind of things bore me, but just the general common sense principle that we didn't have access to Wendy's and we didn't have grocery stores. And when we were in, in the wild, we ate sporadically as much as we could, mostly berries, nuts, other, other things that we gathered. Occasionally we would kill an animal of some sort and, and that meat was very lean, so very different than the meat that we go and buy at the grocery store. Um, but we had to expend a ton of effort, and the, the meals were separated by a long period of time, sometimes a few days, sometimes a week. Um, so this idea that we have to eat every two hours to keep our blood sugar up, our system is fully capable of keeping our blood sugar level um, in extreme circumstances. So just uh, something I picked up from Peter Atia's uh, podcast. He said that we, in any given moment, if our metab metabolism is normal, we have about one teaspoon of sugar floating around dissolved in our blood. If it drops below that one teaspoon, we are approaching a coma. If it goes up to two teaspoons, we're now going to be in diabetic, you know, ketoacidosis, you know, metabolic failure. So we have that narrow window that um, we live in, and we have multiple systems in our body. Um, glycogen in the liver, we have the insulin, the cortisol system, the glucagon system, that all they are there for is to keep our blood sugar normal, keep it in a normal range. So I don't think that it, unless you're on a medication and unless you have insulin-dependent diabetes, 
I think your body is fully capable of keeping your blood sugar in a normal range, despite you not having eaten for more than a few hours. Okay, but having lived with you for a while, I find intermittent fasting much easier because we've done some other type of fasting. And I've gotten through those initial days of, okay, this feels different than what I'm normally doing. Um, And so now I can do intermittent fasting based on kind of what I feel my body wants. But it took some learning to get to that. And I was thinking when you were describing our ancestors, kind of how where we came from, you and I this time of year will eat our breakfast on the blackberry bushes hiking up the mountain. That's probably a lot more like what our ancestors did. They're in season. We can eat them, right? But most of the year we can't. They're not in. They're not ripe. Actually, you're making a very good point. I, I'm not sure this is exactly the point you're making, but the we'll go back to that analogy, a different analogy this time. Say you're driving your car down the highway, and um, for some reason you have to swerve to avoid an object. If you overswerve, what's the next thing that happens? You then have to overcorrect. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. you swerve mm-hmm. to the right, then you have to swerve to the left, then you have to swerve to the right. So if if you if you have too strong of a correction, then you're forever going to be kind of bouncing back and forth. And how that pertains to blood sugar is if you feed yourself, uh, let me backtrack a minute. Your body has a means to keep your blood sugar level. Insulin, glucagon, there's other hormones, cortisol, keep your blood sugar up. Um, but they're not designed to take a bag of M&Ms or a two glasses of orange juice or um, frosted mini wheats. That's an extreme load of sugar, which we did not have access to when we were evolving. So what happens when you really pump yourself up and drink a big Coke and drink all of a sudden eight teaspoons of sugar, your body has to scramble to take care of that. And part of that overcorrection, all these hormones come in to drop your blood sugar down. It doesn't know when to turn off. So then your blood sugar will dip down. And then you have a whole system because, again, we have to maintain that blood sugar in such a narrow range that says, oh, my God, the blood sugar is dropping. So then the system pours start pushing the other way to drive your sugar back up. And so there's this forever sine wave that goes on. If you're constantly feeding your body high sugar foods and then recovering from that high sugar and then going back to it, you're just bouncing back and forth. So in in situations like that, yes, you you have to be you have to be careful to, not to just all of a sudden say I'm just going to go from you know drinking five cokes a day, now I'm going to intermittent fast because for a few days your body is really going to be not in good situation. Yeah, it's releasing toxins. It's a good reason why it happens. But you were also talking about all the other things that have to happen to regulate sugar in our system. And I can't, just thinking about that makes me think how much we're overtaxing all the things our body's built to do for us. And we're asking it to do it on overdrive all day long, yeah. given the diets that we eat today. With sugar particularly. That's right. So you're really running your body hard, just like dragging a car out. Eventually, you're going to make the car wear out. It's not, if you drive a car, if you've got a a Honda Civic and you're driving it off-road, it's it's going to break pretty soon. Um, So I did did pick up a few benefits of intermittent fasting. Um, These are things that um, I reviewed some studies, looked at some books. So here's, I'm just going to list these because I don't want to take too much time doing this, but there's some studies that show that intermittent fasting actually helps thinking and memory, cognition, which is huge. Now, I, I didn't look into the mechanism of that, but it totally makes sense because um, one one etiology of Alzheimer's and dementia is brain inflammation. And 
if you are constantly running with high sugar and high insulin, you're going to be in an inflammatory state. So it makes sense that keeping your blood sugar and your insulin in a normal range will keep uh, your brain healthy. Um, heart health, that's another thing. Um, just inter intermittent fasting by itself with no other things uh, done, improved blood pressure and resting heart rates, as well as other heart-related measurements. So that's a pretty impressive thing. I didn't even think that, I mean, I'm not sure how that works, but it obviously happens. Physical performance, so young men who fasted 16 hours showed fat loss while maintaining muscle mass. And then mice who were fed on alternate days showed better endurance and running. That's surprising because of what mm -hmm. you just, you know, when we started the podcast, you were saying, if I'm going to have a stressful, busy day, I might eat more. But interestingly, mice who were, they, they skipped eating every other day had better running endurance. Mm -hmm. Can't explain that. Type 2 diabetes and obesity. Um, there's animal studies that show that intermittent fasting prevents obesity and in six short studies, six smaller studies, obese humans, adults, lost weight through intermittent fasting. That's a little controversial. There's a couple of studies that say that intermittent fasting doesn't cause weight loss. But um, I suspect that probably it does. And then uh, people with type 2 diabetes, and you know, we have several friends with type 2 diabetes, uh, that's non-insulin dependent diabetes, they definitely can benefit. Uh, there's a lot of uh, a, bit, a lot of research that uh, intermittent fasting helps lower insulin levels, lower glucose, and lower leptin, which is a, a, a hormone that um, fat cells secrete uh, to tell you that you've had enough. Um, so, and then tissue health, which is something that uh, interestingly, animal studies show intermittent fasting uh, reduces tissue damage after surgery and improves results. Now, that's an interesting thing because I, I in my spare time, my hobby is being an eye surgeon, an eyelid surgeon specifically. And I can tell you that people, that you can take four patients that are in their mid-60s and do surgery on them, and they will have, their tissue will feel different. It responds different, differently to being cut. It bleeds differently. It heals and swells and bruises differently. And so it's, it's not a big leap for me to think that if you are lean and uh, you have low insulin, low inflammation, that you can heal faster. Um, so just to summarize, you know, here's a few things that reducing inflammation is good for and intermittent fasting, we think, reduces inflammation. So Alzheimer's, arthritis, asthma, multiple sclerosis. Uh, it can help recover from stroke. And um, there's a few studies that show just alternate day fasting, which is very simple. Just don't eat on odd days or don't eat on even days. Eat what you want on the other days is about as effective as a low-calorie diet for weight loss. And, you know, I actually, I can't do a low calorie diet. I'm just not successful at it. I, I like food too much. Um, intermittent fasting gives me a lot more flexibility. So I can eat what I want. I just don't eat it all day long. Yeah, I have a friend who used to fast every Monday. Um, she would just not eat one day a week. And she felt like that really helped her keep her system in balance. Yeah, we didn't define it. And I'm going to go back to that for just a second. But just to summarize the benefits may or may not bring about weight loss, okay? But there's many other benefits. Reduced inflammation, decreased risk of dementia, increased growth hormone, which is a big one, um, increased metabolic rate, which determines how much calories you burn when you're not exercising, decreased cancer risk, improved lipid profile, decreased insulin resistance and heart health. That's a pretty impressive list. Mm -hmm. So what do you have to do to get all that? You know, um, what's the cost of that? So let's just define it. So the definition means... Basically, intermittent fasting, the simplest definition is you only eat during a specific window of time during your day. 
Well, that is why we call it break fast, right? Break fast. So it, it means instead of getting up in the morning and eating a donut at 6 a.m. and then eating lunch and then eating dinner after you get home at 7.30 or 8, right before you go to sleep, that's a 14-hour eating window. The idea is to reduce that eating window down as much as is comfortable for you. For me, the easiest thing to do is just to skip breakfast uh, because I'm usually in a rush anyway, and I'm not huge on you know starchy breakfast foods. So just not having breakfast and instead drinking a couple of glasses of water or maybe a cup of coffee for breakfast, and there's no calories in that. So right there, if you do that, you reduce your eating window from, say, 14 hours to, mm, I don't know, 9, 8, something like that, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. So say you grab lunch at 12, then eat again at 6.30 or 7. Now your eating window's seven hours. Question. Mm-hmm. What if one morning, I'm doing this pretty regularly, but some mornings I feel a little more hungry than others, and I'm not sure I know exactly why that happens. It may have to do with what I ate the day before, how I slept. What if I just grabbed a little handful of nuts or a little bit of fruit? Like, am I better to stay away from sugar and just have something that just fills my belly a little bit? Or what, you know, kind of what's the appetite? Well, um, you, you may be hungry for two reasons. One is that you actually are hungry, which if you had a big meal the night before, you probably are not. So the other thing that sometimes feels like hunger is being dehydrated. Mm-hmm. So if you, the first thing I do when I get up and I'm like, okay, I'm not really not supposed to eat breakfast, but I'm feeling a little snacky. First thing I do is drink a big glass of water, maybe with a little squeeze of lemon. If that doesn't work, then the next thing is, like you said, something, um, just a small snack that's fatty, like nuts, that's fantastic, or a sliced avocado with a little lime on there. Those things probably won't drive your insulin up a whole bunch. So yeah, have have snacks on hand. But, you know, um, and the other trick is, if you feel hungry, you have a food craving, check in with yourself to see what kind of mood you're in. Because if you happen to be stressed or worried or depressed or um, you know, anything that's going on in your mind that's a negative sensation, a negative emotion, that tends to exacerbate food cravings. And if you deal with that mood first, a lot of times a food craving will go away. And then last tip is, if you can put off satisfying your food craving for about 15 minutes, 90% of the time it'll vanish. I will try a glass of water for that. And if it still persists, I try nuts or something like that. But I think I used to go for like just fresh fruit, thinking fresh fruit was better, but it's still, that's going to have more sugar in it. So I'm just trying to think of ideas as people shift into more of this. For us, it happened through, I mean, we've been doing things like this for a number of years. And I'm trying to think back to when we first started because I had more of a probably standard American diet, a sad diet than you did. And, um, and we did it, we did some robust fast, not immediately, but, um, and they were, you, we had really nutritious meals with that, um, sometimes, or sometimes we did juicing. So this has been an experiment for me over a number of years. And I don't know if I clearly remember kind of how it shifted, but over time I learned that intermittent fasting and actually being a little hungry is a really good feeling. And that was a mental shift as much as an emotional shift for me. Hmm. Yeah, I have to agree with you. A lot of people have never really felt hungry. Right, and they get scared by it. Yeah, they're like, there's something wrong. They're frightened about it. Yeah, and the the times in my life that I feel the most energetic, the most mentally sharp, are the times that I haven't had a huge meal for, you know, 
10 or 12 hours. And, and I, on a regular basis, will skip about a day and a half during the week where I don't eat anything. I just drink. And I'll tell you, near the end of that, I feel fantastic. And so it, I, I've, yeah, but if you'll remember, I used to be really grumpy when you would have those days because I would try to mimic you, and it didn't feel good to yeah, me. Yeah. But now I actually can can be okay and move through those fasting periods. Mm-hmm. I'm in a much better mood. Yeah. And that's why I say emotionally and mentally it was a big shift for me to understand. I guess I may have been one of those people that was a little scared about being hungry. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, and, and keep in mind, we're not talking about becoming ketotic. You must right. have heard like you know, people who try to achieve ketosis. So we're not trying to do that yet. Um, I, I can get ketotic pretty quick uh, after about 24 hours. And I just basically go on a hike and I'm ketotic. But um, that's a whole different topic. I, I'm, I'm, we can do that another day. We can. We can. Okay, we, we've covered a lot. I think we, we did a good job in uh, how long did we take that time? Well, I was going to say back to the topic when. I think when is something you can experiment with more in a thoughtful way, um, given some of what you've shared. There's some positive reasons to look at intermittent fasting, mm-hmm. but it's something you need to be thoughtful about. And again, you need to be putting good fuel in. When you do eat, it doesn't mean you have to eat everything vegan, but you need to put good fats, yep. good sweets, good meat, and it doesn't have to be a lot of some of those categories. Actually, you reminded me of something. If you're going to go through the trouble of intermittent fasting to get yourself healthy, um, if you binge after you fasted for a while, um, it defeats the purpose. So you still have to eat moderately. Intermittent fasting doesn't mean you know you can go to pizza at buffet and you know eat two large pizzas. Oh, but you can probably have a really big salad and add have, some steak on top. You know, that's one of my so, favorites is to add a little steak on top of a really good salad. Yeah, the principles we, we've covered before still applies what yeah. I'm saying. So intermittent fasting is an add-on. It's kind of become a way of life for me. So um, it's a good good thing to just incorporate. And after a while, that's just that's just what you do. You don't really think about it. Yeah, it's a journey. And I, I wanted to share, that, I, that has not always been true for me. I think you were in a much much healthier eating phase of life than I was when we got together and you started cooking for me. Mm. Except when you buy the, the family pack of almond M&Ms and uh, put them in, my, in a bowl on the counter. Except those times. Except those times. And when people bring you sweets because they love I you do. when they come visit from think, out of town. I, can't, I don't Terry. know if it's sabotage or it's usually my diabetic friends actually that bring me sugar, which I don't know what the hell that's about. <laughs> Um, anyway, so we're going to wrap this up and uh, just like to put a plug in. We're uh, in about 10 days. We're doing a webinar on nutrition, which I'm very excited about. You can find details on untrition.com. That's uh, nutrition with a U in the end switched. It's and let untrition.com. Me, let me forewarn you, your phone and your computer will try to spell it correctly. You will have to tell it. You're spelling the <laughs> yeah. U in the end backwards yeah. once or twice. Untrition.com. Check that out. And uh, we'll be posting on Facebook about more about this. But um, this this podcast also can be found on Apple Podcasts at Live the Path. That's the name of our podcast. So enjoy. And we can put the link in the notes. Link the is podcast. in the notes. Sounds yeah. great. So whether you see it on Facebook and you want to listen to it in your car, go to Live the Path in Apple Podcasts. Or if you hear it in your car, go to Facebook. It's going to be... Where's it going to be on Facebook? It'll be in, on the Live the Path group on Facebook. Actually, that's where we're going to post this uh, recording. And then we've posted it on our personal pages. Personal pages also. So if you know us, we'll see you soon. This is Fairmaster Daji. I'm signing off from the Live the Path podcast, and this is 
Jill Hadaji. We'll see y'all next time. All right. Thank you so much for listening.